But now, tonight with Ruth, when we come to this book, the very beginning tells us, the very first verse, that it is in the time of Judges. So we're not really out of Judges. We're in overtime now. But this is a really good overtime. And everything about Ruth has a happy ending. So let's just put that right there. This book has a very happy ending. I didn't like, if you didn't like the ending of Judges, neither did I. Right? But Ruth has a very happy ending. And because it's in the time of Judges, it just reminds us that it's not what's going on around us that matters, but what's going on in us that matters. It's not what happens to us that matters, but how we respond to it. It's not all this noise, but how we frame it and see it with the eyes of faith or unbelief. And so as we look to chapter 1 on Tuesday night and here tonight in review as we get to a couple key verses, we find that there was a famine in the land of Israel. And the irony of it all is that there in the city of Bethlehem, which means city of bread, there's a famine. And uh, this fellow, uh, Elimelech, and his wife Naomi go out with their two adult boys They cross the Jordan River and go back to the east, to the east side of the Jordan River, to Moab, modern Jordan. And in doing so, we know from the totality of of the book that they sold their property. They had an inheritance. So they had an inheritance from previous generations. They sold their property, their home, everything. Because in Bethlehem, the house of bread, there was no bread. And desperate people do desperate things. So they were desperate. They sold their house, sold their property, all that they received as inheritance, and everything they had was their family relationships, and they moved to Moab. And there in Moab, they lived for 10 years. Emelech and his family, they went from the promised land to the land of Moab, where Chamosh, the bully god that we studied earlier, is the god that they worship. So they subjected themselves to those local ordinances and mandates and those people looking for food and looking to make it. That's the background to the story. And in that 10-year period, we're told in the book of Ruth here in chapter 1 that eventually Elimelech died, the husband, the primary breadwinner. Then both boys married women that were Moabite women, so they were unequally yoked, but they married these women. And in spite of different cultures, different ethnicities, different worldviews, completely different worldviews, because there's a big difference between Jehovah and Chamash, the bully guide. But yet they married. And that they had at least favorable relationships in their marriage is evident in that Naomi was very close with her daughter-in-laws, and they were very close with her. So that's interesting to the story. So whatever difficulties, the cultural differences, and all that would have brought to those marriages, we know from the overall context of this book that Naomi and her daughter-in-laws loved each other very much and were very close. She had her big boy and her little boy. And they married these girls. And they were a family unit. And there was love. Alas, both boys died as well. So Naomi had a 10-year period that was preceded by giving up everything she knew in Bethlehem, her house, her property, following her husband to Moab to submit to the magistrates and the people of that land and their gods and their culture and if you ever go to different cultures you know what that's like you just got to go with it you're not going to change their culture when you're American you go to Chile you're not there to make Chileans American you're an American in Chile all right or Vietnam or whatever pick your country so they're they're adapting to the culture and figuring it out for 10 years they get the wives the daughter-in-laws there's no offspring there's no grandchildren and then everyone dies so Naomi has lost her husband, both her sons, and there's no grandchildren. 
Like this is grief upon grief upon grief during a famine that affected everybody. But in her personal life, this is what she went through. You talk about a 10-year period that's a rough go. This was what happened in her life. That's as dark as any 10-year period I could think of anyone having in, in their life. For a woman to lose her husband and both her sons. This is the introduction to this book, how it all begins there. And then she hears that there's bread in Israel. And so, driven by bread and the necessity of eating, she's going to go back to the region of Judah, to the town of Bethlehem, where she's from. And that's where we really come into the story now. So as she's getting ready to go, her two daughter-in-laws are with her, and they want to go with her to Israel. And she says, no, 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 no. I can't provide husbands for you. I can't do anything like that for you. Go back to your families. Find a good man. You're still young. You're still attractive. You can reload. You can reboot. You can, you can do this again. It's all good, you know, probably in the early 30s. You're, it's, go home. And the one of her daughter-in-law's chose to do that, but the other one didn't, and that's Ruth, and that's what brings us to the book. So we're going to look at a couple specific verses here in chapter 1, where she said to them that the Lord had, had been very hard on her, and the hand of the Lord was against her, that was verse 13, and then she says this, in verse 14, the narrative says this, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, because previously in this chapter they wept together, and Orpha. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Naomi is encouraging the one daughter-in-law to do what the other daughter-in-law has done and just go back, just go back. Naomi is, thinks God's hands against her. She's going to go home and stand alone and face whatever she has to face because you still got to wake up when you're a widow, a divorcee, without a job, and lost a child, and you still got to wake up and find food to eat in the human experience. And that's what she's going to do. But Ruth said to her in verse 16, Entreat me, now, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she, that is Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. That is to stop speaking to discourage her from following. She accepted that Ruth was going to be with her, on this journey, and she couldn't convince Ruth to go back to her family and to her culture and all that. Ruth was all in with Jehovah, the God of Israel. All in. And that's really what we see in this story, this part of the story. Now, when Naomi gets back to Bethlehem, she says to the women and the people of the community, they're also happy to see her come back after 10 years. It's like you know, if you moved away from where we went to high school and where you got married and all that, and you moved away for 10 years, and you come home and you're broken. You got nothing. And everyone knows your husband died, your sons died, and everyone feels bad for poor old Naomi, but they're happy to see you. And your name means pleasantness. That's what her name meant. And she said, let's make this clear right now as I've come back empty-handed. Because I don't own that house anymore over there. I don't own that land over there anymore. I don't own anything. I don't have a husband. I don't have either of my children. I've got my daughter-in-law with me who's a Moabitess. Don't call me pleasantness. Call me Mara. Bitter is my name. 
because God has dealt bitterly with me. Which is really interesting as we frame this opening act of this story because it is her life and her faith that Ruth is clinging on to. You see, we often say of a Christian, you might be the only Jesus anyone sees, particularly in cultures where there's very few Christians, like Pakistan or Afghanistan and those kind of places, Turkey, you know, where there's very few Christians. If you're the Christian, you're Jesus to those people. You represent Jesus. They come from maybe an Islamic background or a Hindu background or Buddhist background, like in Japan where 1% of the population is Christian of any name, form, or subform, cult, or whatever. So they watch you in Tokyo or Osaka or whatever, and they watch how you are, and you're the one Christian, so you are Jesus to them. You know, Naomi was Jehovah to Ruth. God of the burning bush, Mount Sinai, the law, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. Naomi is the representative of Jehovah to the Moabitess daughter-in-law. Now, there would have been other representations, the husband and the two sons, including Ruth's husband who passed away, which is a grief and a sorrow all of its own for Ruth to lose her husband in the early part of their life and their marriage in the first 10 years. But it's fascinating to me, and I sent everybody home Tuesday night, said, go home and think about this. How Ruth could be so drawn to the Lord, having lost her husband, having watched Naomi lose her husband and her two sons, say her name should be changed, not from Abram to Abraham, or Sarah to Sarah, or Simon to Peter, where you get those name changes, but take me from being pleasant to bitter. She's going reverse on her name change, Right? How is it that Ruth says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, and she was determined to follow her no matter what? This is a thought that we need to think about. Because as she's leaving Moab and everything she knows, because Ruth is the star of the story, uh, best supporting actress is Naomi uh, up for that. But Ruth is the star. She's the lead actress in this story. So much of a lead actress, she ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Luke and Matthew's gospel. That's what a star she is. She's a superhero of the Bible. But every step she takes away from Moab, from the east to the west to Israel, she's leaving behind her parents, her siblings, her high school classmates, Everything she knew, her gods, her language, her idioms that languages have, the slangs that each language has in each culture. She's leaving everything she knows to go to everything she doesn't know by faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And Naomi is the representative of Jehovah, the God of Israel. So it only makes sense that Ruth would say to her, your people are my people Your God is my God. Where you die, I die. And she was determined and could not be dissuaded to go. And not only that, did you catch the phrase there? She clung to Naomi. Moses said before he died in Moab, 
that you might cling to the Lord, for he is your life and the length of your days. And here is Ruth clinging to Naomi, the one person that represents the God of Israel, Jehovah, and the son of the God of Israel, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, to her on that day. And she's not letting go. And you can't keep her from following into the promised land. You know, we read in the Second Corinthians that if you want to be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things are new. This is very true for the woman Ruth. In the book of Acts, we see where they gave their life to the Lord in Ephesus and they burned the books of their sorcery. They wanted to disidentify with what their life had been and fully identify with what their life was and would be in Jesus Christ. That's what we have going on here. Ruth isn't just in going forward at Anaheim Stadium with great glory. She is all in like a Muslim nation where a Christian goes forward and they're threatening to throw acid on your face in Pakistan and to kill you. She is all in, completely upside down, right side up. Her whole world's changed. Her whole identity, everything. Because this is the shadow of things to come, the fullness of Christ. This is the Great Commission because Jesus said, you'll go to every nation, every tongue, tribe, and nation, every, preach the gospel to every creature. All nations. Jesus came to the Jew first, then the Gentile. And even how Rahab got saved when Jericho was being destroyed. And she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And she's in Hebrews. And she's in the book of James for her faith. The harlot. And now here, Ruth. Wow, this is amazing grace. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. Because when she says, your God will be my God, she's saying, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Because everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of things to come. The fullness is Christ. So her confession of faith is really a confession looking toward Christ. As it says in Hebrews, they look toward the promises to come. It's amazing. It's all in. Old school style, Old Testament, new school style, Church of Jesus Christ, 2022. All in. We didn't come this far to 2022 to be half-hearted and halfway committed to the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blood of the cross is all in. Tongues of fire is all in. The Great Commission is all in. Weddings where you dance is all in. Funerals where you cry, it's all in. It's all in with Jesus Christ in 2022, like Ruth. Every step leaving the known to go toward the unknown. That's faith. And that's what she had. She was all in. Your people will be my people. This is a very interesting phrase to think about in an application. Because those people would have been the people she was raised her entire life to hate and distrust. Which just shows you God can save anybody. We need to be reminded of that in January 2022. Because we put limits on what we think God can do. And we need to just remove those limits from our thinking. Your people will be my people. For a Moabite, for a Moabite is to switch allegiance from Chamosh the bully god and all of her upbringing, her entire family, to align with an Israelite, her mother-in-law, 
It would have just been um, an anathema, a curse to her family. Even now, many Jewish people, when they give their life to Christ, are considered dead by their family. And of course, in Muslim countries and in Muslim faiths, and then, you know, here in America, they've even had Muslims where their daughters or sons have given their life to Christ, and they have honor killings where they kill them. This is reality. And so for her to say, your people be my people, that's like when someone, you know, Jesus said, count the cost. And that's when someone hears the gospel and they know it's true. They don't care what their parents are going to say, their professor, their girlfriend, their fiance, anything. Their neighbors, their boss, they're all in. Because they know this is the truth. You know, there's people that mock the church on one day and go forward in a harvest crusade later on that same day. And the same people that are mocking are the people up there serving them, giving them booklets and praying for them and following up with them. My brother-in-law, John, used to mock Christians. When Jennifer got saved and we got married, he used to make fun of Christians. He had fun with it until his mom died. And we buried her on Good Friday. He came to Easter service at Bringle Terrace Park there in Vista on that Easter Sunday, 1996, 97. And he gave his life to Christ. And I baptized him the same day I baptized my daughter, Hannah, at Oceanside Pier a month later. Don't underestimate in our minds as we look at 2022 the power of God to take people from mockers and destroyers and hecklers and antichrist to being saved, Saul to Paul, to, to, to having that transformation, to, to be willing, because so many people around us, they attack the church. They attack the church from their places of education, pseudo-education. They attack the church from their places as masters of the universe, and they want to destroy us and silence us. They do it in most of the world. It's a lot harder to do in America because we have good laws that protect us from them doing it, but they still try and do it. But we can never, our journey is so short, our life's a vapor, and we can never underestimate that people who would attack the church can one day want to be with the church. And then they come into church culture. What's it like to go to church? What's it like to come to worship generation? Well, that guy playing the guitar is pretty gifted, man. Danny D, right? Like, like and, and so what do I do? do we, can I raise my hands? Do I, everyone's standing except the pastor and the person over there. So maybe I can sit. Do I stand? What do I do? You know, like, I was raised Catholic. Sometimes they tell you, kneel, stand, kneel, stand. You know, I don't know. What do I do? I think we need a vision to realize that God in the book of Acts, sent his messengers out with the power of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's power in the gospel. And people who would mock Paul would then receive his message and follow Paul to follow Jesus. And we are here 2,000 years later as evidence and testimony that if anyone be in Christ in new creation, all things have passed away, all things are new. Now, some of us are raised in the church. Some of us were not at all. My wife was not raised in the church. She was raised in a very skeptical antichrist family. So in one day, she went from, you know, her professors at San Diego State and her family, how they were, her apostatized Catholic dad, to Sunday at Calvary Chapel and singing all those Maranatha songs of the early 80s. 
I didn't realize when I met my father-in-law for the first time, I was everything he wished his daughter would never be married to. I was a surfer. I was a Christian. And I was going to be a pastor. And that first lunch date, he asked me, what's your plans with education? And I told him to go into ministry and serve the Lord. And I said, it's not too late for you. He goes, oh, it is. But it wasn't. Because the last three years of his life, I had incredible ministry with him. And I'm the last person he had cognizant relationship with before he stepped in eternity between me, him, and Jesus. 32 years later. God is in the business of saving people. And we think out there, it's the world versus the church, the church versus the world. Not so. We're going to always exist. We're praising Jesus in heaven. We're the 24 elders. The church ain't going anywhere. So all these masters of the universe that control all the media, do all the lying, cheating, stealing, the things they do, it doesn't matter. They're going to come and go. Don't let them accept you. We're the church. Jesus loves the church. He's for the church. Church is super important. So would we say like, Ruth, your people will be my people. And this is something interesting for the body of Christ for the last two years. Because when we got first round of COVID and all this stuff back in March, almost two years ago now, we were forced out of our churches and told to stay home. And then as we began to get back together in churches, we found no matter where that church existed, Florida, Texas, California, New Mexico, no matter where that church existed, nowhere near the same amount of people came back. Nor the core group of people that originally in that church came back. It was never the same. They always say if a church moves even one block, they lose half the church. Because people don't like change. It's true. Well, we didn't move, but government and mandates and everything moved us out. And we made it different. We did Zoom. We did live stream. We did all these things. And I'm like, wow, church is kind of different. And then some smaller churches like us began to open back up because we fit the criteria when we're still trying to play the game when the field goal posts weren't moving and all that. And bigger churches had to wait, and some waited so long until they just died because they could never fulfill what these people wanted them to do. But no matter how you look at it, and pastors I've talked to in different states under different circumstances, nothing's the same. And the one thing that I can say absolutely is about 25% to 30% of people that went to church two years ago do not go to church now. For various reasons. Some of them died and stepped into eternity. What a, you know, I mean, like, life happens. People die. More than a quarter million people die every day on planet Earth. And the medical field hasn't been as good because we've all focused on this, so all the cancer surgeries, all these other surgeries have been neglected, and these things have happened, and people go to the hospital, and you can't go visit them, and they die of loneliness, and there's no one there to encourage them, and they die on the side of a room on a gurney. Yeah, we've all, like, a lot's happened. But do you love God's people? Are God's people your people? Do you want to be here with God's people? Do you want to join us online with God's people? Because some people cannot be here. I understand that. So I'm not saying we have to be together in person. But if you can't be together in person, do you want to be together in person? See, that's the real question. Because there's people that watch every service online here or watch every service with Pastor Brian or Rick Warren or whoever, you know, Bill Welsh or Joel Osteen, whatever. There are people that watch every service and they can't wait to tune in, worship the Lord with these people that they're connected with to watch that service, take notes, receive it. They, are, they want to be with God's people. Your people are my people. And that's a good thing, even if they can't be here. That's a very good thing. 
It's like David wanting to build the temple. And God said, you know, you're not called to build the temple. Your son Solomon will build the temple. But as much as in your heart, it's a good thing. So if people can't be with us at church for various reasons, we understand that. But do you want to be with us? Do you want to watch Sam teach online? With Scott Cunningham back from being sick to come and lead us in worship? Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to hear the voice of the Lord with God's people on that day? Tonight? Tuesday? See, she wanted to be with God's people. She wanted to identify with the people of covenant and the church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. We want people to want to identify with us because we have the keys to the kingdom. Ours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we're not shrinking back to hide. We're just trying to figure out how to adjust our playbook to an ever-changing game that we're in called life in 2022, planet Earth. So do we want to be with God's people? Because what I would say I've learned is if people want, needed excuses not to come to church or want to be with Christians, they found plenty of them. <laughs> I can give you a bunch of them. The things that are loose are shaken when things get shaken. But things that are solid remain. And you don't have to be in fellowship with people to be remaining. But to want to be with them is, is the key to remaining. Because fellowship is like the coals in your barbecue. You pull it aside, it dies out faster than when it's joined with the others. And the devil loves to divide and conquer. And if we've seen anything in two years, it's attack the church, attack the church, divide, conquer within the church. Leadership of churches, divide them over these things. Movements in the church, divide them over these things and those things. Man, we could divide without even COVID's help and government mandates help. But you had COVID and mandates, we find it really easy to divide. On our best day, we're already in division. We think we know more than our neighbor. I remember telling Pastor Guy here at Shoreline years ago, I go, you know, Calvary guys think they got it all figured out. He goes, that's nothing. You should hang out with Southern Baptist. I go, really? Oh, yeah, man, we got it all figured out. You don't even know. You Calvary guys are stupid. I was like, well, B, I thought we were the only guys that thought like that. <laughs> and we need to love God's people. I want to be with God's people. Let's be with God's people. Let's respect God's people. Let's value the distinctions of God's people. Let's be people of God that love God's people. Because Jesus died for God's people. We are the people of covenant here, and we want to be yoked with other people of covenant. And we don't want to make the bride of Christ the arm, the enemy of the leg. One body. Pastor Chuck Smith used to say all the time, the more you grow and mature in your faith, the less denominational you are. And when you're 60 and close to eternity, you don't have time to fight over petty stuff. There are things that are distinctions like the gospel and not the gospel. I understand that. But like missionaries in a faraway country, do you think people that have served Jesus in Pakistan or Turkey think about what separates them as much as what unifies them? If you've ever been in the mission field, you understand that the church comes together over their common faith and they need one another. Baptists and Calvary guys and Methodists or whatever and Joel Osteen's buddies and they, Rick Warren's friends, they, they don't, we don't have time to fight each other when you're in Turkey. You need to come together in prayer, agree on what you can agree on, the gospel, reaching the lost, and get to it. Your people will be my people. And I think it's very important for worship generation as we look at 2022 that we say, your people, Lord Jesus, your people will be my people. 
And if we're a follower of Jesus Christ that agrees with Jesus that his people are our people, it's going to be better for us. It's going to be better for planet Earth. And it'll be better for the fruit from our lives. Now, she also said, your God will be my God. This, this again, is just so profound. Because she's broken off from her family. Jesus said, uh, he said that unless a person hates their family, they can't follow him. That's a very strong passage there in the Gospel of Luke. And takes up the cross and dies themselves. It's one of the most powerful passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. He's not teaching to hate people per se, but like, he has to be supreme. You know, there's just one relationship that keeps you from Christ. It will keep you from Christ. Jesus has to be supreme. He has to be Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So for her to leave her family, her mom, her dad, her siblings, her nieces and nephews, like this is just so profound. But then she says, your God will be my God. She is all in. So not just all in on her identity of people of covenant, but she's all in with who she's serving. Which God? Are you serving Chamosh, the bully God? Dagon, the fish god, uh, Molech, Baal, they, they kind of interchange. When you study these gods of the, the, back in the day, they kind of borrowed gods, kind of like Poseidon and Neptune, like the Romans and the Greeks. They, they got the same god, different names. They did stuff like that. I get so confused when I study these gods. It's confusing and frustrating, but the bottom line is I know like none of them are real, except for demons. Because the New Testament tells us behind every idol is a demon. So it's not like, oh, that statue means nothing. It, no, there's something behind that statue. Go try and plant a church in Pakistan and tell me that how they worship doesn't affect your heart and your spirit with the Lord. There's dark places on planet Earth because they worship false gods and there's demonic entities and strongholds over them. And I, when we went to Vermont in 1994, I was very fascinated that Billy Graham, Charles Finney, and um, D.L. Moody never did any crusades in the state of Vermont. It's one of the few states that none of those guys ever visited. Also, by the way, if you never knew this, but we're the, in Mormonism, uh, Moriah the angel, that when he appeared to uh, Joseph Smith, it's in upstate New York, right by Plattsburgh, which is 20 miles from where I lived in Vermont. You know, the Bible talks about strongholds, principalities and powers. Let me tell you, there's a demonic stronghold over Vermont. It's the darkest, most oppressive place I've ever been to in my entire life. But I have to tell you, in all honesty, coming back to California, it's pretty oppressive here. If you're only here and you only know this, you'd think this is the way it is for everybody. But when you go to some other places where laws are more favorable to the church and good health care, better health care than what we get here, and there's more options and, and government trusts you to make your own adult decisions as opposed to try and force them on you and impose them on you, you'd be surprised how happy the people are. You'd be surprised how different it feels to go grocery shopping and go to the bank and just go around and live life where people don't live under oppression in fear of mandates and control and bullying. And I must tell you, coming back to California, I'm just being transparent. It is oppressive. Every time I come back from other places that there's more freedom of personal choice to hear, it, you feel the oppression. And coming back this trip, it reminds me like when I used to go back to Vermont. It's like, oh, man, like, But, you know, we're not backing down from being the church in the state of California or anywhere else on planet Earth. You just have to fight through the oppression. It's like the famine for in, in, the, in the time of Amimelech and Naomi and Ruth. We didn't ask for the famine. We just got one. 
and how we frame it, and how we go through it, and how we live in it and make of it between us and the Lord, that's what's going to stand for all eternity. Famines come and go. Chamosh, the bully God, he'll come and go. But Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's over all these things. But if you feel like it's discouraging, oppressive, and people don't want to look at you when you're at the crosswalk going to the beach, mask or no mask, everyone keeps their distance and unfriendly, yeah, that is the way it is. And that's not the way it used to be. But that's our world. But I don't want to bring Chamosh into that equation. I want to bring Jesus, Jehovah, Yahweh into that equation. Because Jehovah is a loving God. Because God so loved the world, he gave his son. It's the greatest act of love we can understand. That's Jehovah God, God of the burning bush, God of Mount Sinai. And I want to bring up, that's why I told you a couple weeks ago, I hate the mask because you, it disconnects you in the human experience of facial expressions of joy and sadness and, hmm, and all those things that we're taught to read in kindergarten. Like I said, there's the chart there in kindergarten. I'm happy, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm hurt, all these things. And now you just put a mask over any face and all those emotions are gone. And who gave humanity emotions? God did. Who showed emotions? Jesus did. So whatever medical things these things do or don't do, to me, I fall back on what I do know. God designed us to be interactive and to live the human experience and to cry together like these daughters-in-law who shared grief with their mother-in-law and to rejoice together when grandchildren are born when you called yourself bitterness, Mara. We're meant to live the human experience, not hide behind a veil in the human experience. So all medical things aside... I fall back on what I do know. We're meant to be interpersonal. A man who isolates himself is not good, the Bible says. Your God will be my God. I'm all in with you. Your God's going to be so my God that I don't even know it, but a thousand years from now, one of my descendants is going to give birth to God himself, the incarnation. Ruth is in the genealogy for Mary and Joseph on both sides. Right back to David. And to Grandpa Obed. Isn't that, like, it's amazing. This woman said, your God will be my God. How could she know that she would be in the genealogy of Jesus Christ? You just never know when you say, your God will be my God, where it's going to take you and what your legacy will be a thousand years from now. Your God will be my God. And Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, came through her descendants, and she's in both genealogies. So don't underestimate the value and the power and the conviction when you say, your God will be my God. Jesus, you are my God. Jesus is Lord. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'm your servant. Don't underestimate what that means because you might think, I'm just going to go to Israel and I'm hoping for free food in this field from the gleanings of the field. And God's like, no, you have no idea what I have for you. My son, when my son, the eternal God, comes into the world, he's going to come through your sentence and you're going to get credit for it. Because he's coming for all nations, and you're from another nation, and you're going to fit in the genealogy to show everyone that I had a plan all along to bring Gentiles into my kingdom. Every non-Jew that's ever saved in eternity is going to look back on the precursor and the prequel before my son came and before the gospel was ever preached, and they're going to see your name a thousand years before he came a thousand years before my son is born of the virgin in Bethlehem. You're going to go back, pick up barley pieces from that field, within a few square miles, and you're going to be there as the poorest of the poor, benefiting from my welfare program and the law, and you'll have no idea that a thousand years from now, my son, born of the virgin, is coming through your line. 
Man, eye has not seen nor ear heard those things that God has prepared for those who love him. I tell you, the Lord says, if I told you what I was going to do, a work in your day, you wouldn't even believe it if I told it to you. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Your God will be my God. All it takes is this faith of a mustard seed to start walking in the right direction toward Jesus. And then who knows what's going to happen a thousand years later when you've left planet Earth, what the legacy of your faith will be and your willingness to put Christ before, put, put Jehovah God before all relationships, before your false gods, and go this way. Which kind of brings us back to her only understanding of Jehovah is, in her mind and through Naomi's uh, theology, Jehovah took her son, her son, her husband, and her, her, her father-in-law. And the theology of Naomi is like, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. The hand of Jehovah is against me. But like I mentioned on Tuesday night, though Ruth, though Naomi didn't feel that God had kindness for her, he did, she did feel that God had kindness for them. And she said, may the Lord show you kindness. So she believed that God is kind, but not to her. So she was correct in her theology to some extent, but she was wrong to another extent. Because the end of this book is Naomi with her grandson, like this. And if you've never had a grandkid, uh, Don, uh, Don James, Don and Shannon James, a deacon in our church, they just had their, their grandson in Maryland or in Pennsylvania about a week ago. And, you know, first I got the private photo. It's like, oh, man, awesome. And then, like, now it's all the Instagram photos. Like, and, you know, it's not just one photo. You don't do that with your first grandkid. No, it's the slider. One, two, three, four, five. Because it's exciting. So the woman who said, call me bitter, not pleasant, his book ends where she's like, wink. Like that, you know, like, you just have no idea when, some of us do, but we really still don't know, like, when we go all in with the Lord, what he has for us. That we can say in 2022, your people are my people. We love the church and we love God's people. And Jesus is Lord of my life, all of my life. And I'm believing him for what I'm facing today. And I'm believing him for what I'm facing tomorrow. And the paths that I can't change, I'm giving to him. I'm, I'm all in. Like clinging. Just clinging. I'm all in. And you know, Naomi's sort of like, you know, when the woman had the flow of blood and she touched Jesus, she grabbed the tassel and she grabbed the tassel. And she wasn't letting go. And she had faith to be healed, Jesus said. There's always a flashpoint of faith. So even if our witness isn't the best witness, and if we've blown our witness, particularly in the last two years, we're still the tassel. We're still, even if we're Naomi saying, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter, like we're Eeyore, like, oh, man. Oh, I lost my job because of this, or I did that, and now I'm sick, or whatever. Like, you just, you know, so like, you know what? Forget about it. You're still an ambassador of Jesus Christ if you've given your life to him. And we're still a flashpoint of faith for desperate humanity to grab onto the king through our lives. And I want people grabbing onto Jesus through me in 2022, through us, through his church worldwide in 2022. What could be more worth living for in 2022 than to have non-believers grab onto Jesus through your life?
That's a life to be lived. No matter how oppressive or dark you live may seem, spiritually or practically. It's how you frame it. Famine, everybody's dying. (laughs) Your people are my people, your God's my God. It's all how you frame it through the eyes of faith. Verse 18, this closing thought, she said, it says that she was determined. And this was the big challenge on Tuesday night as well, and it's my challenge to me. I asked myself, how determined am I to really not be like cruise control or autopilot? One thing about driving across country on the 10, you really can't go autopilot. You can kind of in West Texas for parts, but when you're driving to Louisiana on the 10 or Houston from Beaumont and then Beaumont toward Port Lake Charles and Baton Rouge. Like, you, 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 gotta, it, you gotta be all in. Your head's gotta be on a swivel. There's trucks everywhere. You get back on the freeway, you're, you're back in the game. You can't autopilot that. You just can't. There's just too much going on when you drive across country. I, I would maybe wanna use cruise, cruise control. I only use it a couple of times in West Texas where like it's just a gift that keeps on giving. For hundreds of miles, San Antonio, El Paso, 500 miles. But even so, you still got to pay attention because there's 50 dead deer on a 100-mile stretch, which means they're coming anytime. So head on a swivel. That's how we're meant to live our life. To be so determined, to be so focused, to be so in, that we're, just, we're not on cruise control. And I don't think any of us really are. I mean, we're here on Saturday night on the 15th of January, 2022. I do not think, believe or if you're tuning in, that you're on cruise control. But we like cruise control. I like cruise control. Like, oh, hey. These smart cars, oh, hey, look at me. Right? Why do you think they're making these things like this? Because we like that. We gravitate toward easy, soft, complacent. And again, Pastor Tuck used to say, the difference between a rut and a grave is depth and width. We are not in a rut. I don't believe we are. I don't believe I am. I hope I'm not. And if I am, I better get out of it quickly for all of our sake. But we want to be determined. So worship generation, body of Christ, I just want to encourage us to be very determined to, be, to keep the things of Jesus fresh, to keep the praise of Jesus fresh, to keep the calling of Jesus fresh, to keep the promises of Jesus fresh, because they were so fresh and powerful and alive and active to Ruth. She wanted everything, the people of God, the promises of God, God himself, Jehovah, and she's willing to let go of everything she knew because she was all in. So my challenge to me from this first chapter of Ruth is to be all in. Because sometimes I'm not all in. But we, we, gotta, we, gotta, we gotta bring it. We gotta bring the fire. We gotta bring the juice. We gotta bring the A-game, man. We gotta, we gotta, Church of Jesus Christ, we gotta be all in. We need the determination of Ruth going after Naomi in Ruth chapter one. Your people are my people. Your God's my God. We need to be all in, whatever it takes. So that's my goal for 2022. And I hope it's inspiring to you to learn from her life. That'd be your goal as well. No looking back. We can't look back. Forget Chamosh, the family behind, whatever God, you know, like, just forward. 
fully determined, framing it through faith and confidence in the living God in a new year. Famine or no famine, whatever, we're crossing the Jordan, and I'm going to go be with your people and your God. Amen?